okay, this just hurts. Like, ow, yeah. this just hurts. So I was just there for myself, not wanting mm -hmm. to fix it, but just being there like I would for a good friend. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silver, and today's guest is Dr. Ellen Albertson. Dr. Ellen is a psychologist, registered dietitian, national board certified health and wellness coach, radio talk show host, Reiki master, and mindful self-compassion teacher. Known as the midlife whisperer, she helps women have the energy, confidence, and clarity they need to make their next chapter their best. A best-selling award-winning author, inspirational speaker, and expert on women's well-being, Dr. Ellen has appeared on Extra, The Food Network, and NBC World News, and has been quoted in Psychology Today, Forbes, Eating Well, and USA Today. She's written for Self, Better Homes and Gardens, and Good Housekeeping. Her latest book is Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. There's so much we can learn from practicing greater self-compassion, and that's exactly what I'll be talking about today with my guest, Dr. Ellen Albertson. You'll feel like you're putting an arm around yourself as you learn to treat yourself like your own best friend. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we are with Dr. Ellen uh, Albertson today, and we're going to be talking about self-compassion. And I purposely wanted to bring her onto the show because this is something that as we heal from betrayal, we can use a whole lot more of this. So I brought in the expert to share with us how we can do more of it. So welcome, Dr. Ellen. Thank you, Dr. Debbie. It's so good to be here. Uh, glad to have you. Let's just start with what is self-compassion? Essentially, self-compassion is treating yourself the way you would a good friend. So you can start off thinking about, imagine I have a good friend who has gone through betrayal or a health crisis or some issue in, in her life. What would I do? And of course, you know, most of us would go and we would give her a hug, make her dinner, listen to her. Now think about what happens when you have some suffering in your life, so again, the betrayal issue, or maybe you're having a health crisis, problems at work, whatever that is, and think about how do you treat yourself? Now, I have done this hundreds of times with people and always, I've, I don't think I've ever come across anyone who says, I treat myself better than I do my friend. Most of us, right? Most of us treat ourselves um, in a very different manner. We tend to use a very different tone, a very different posture. We tend to be harsh or we get into kind of ruminating. Why is this happening to me? Whereas, you know, with our friends, we're like, oh my God, I'm so here for you. We're not judgmental. We're not critical. We're kind. And we're there to offer compassion, which means to suffer with it. We want to put an arm around her and go, yeah, I'm here for you. So with self-compassion, that's essentially what we're doing. We're putting an arm around ourselves and saying, I am here for you. And you know, let's face it, you're with yourself from the moment you're born to the moment you leave the planet. So what an incredible resource that each of us has that we can all develop, no matter where you are on the self-compassion spectrum, you can grow. It is both a state and a trait. So you can grow your self-compassion muscle. You know, I, I, I love that. And I always say, if you spoke to your friends, how you spoke to yourself, you wouldn't have a friend in the world. Isn't it so true? Why is that? We are so loving and compassionate and warm with others. And we just don't give that, that same, you know, that same respect or gift to, our, yeah, to ourselves. 
Yeah, there's a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, we've internalized the inner critic, right? So when we are little, when we are not able to care for ourselves and mom, dad, or a teacher says to us, you know, clean your room, clean your desk, get better grades, um, you know, they tell us things to do, right? And so to stay alive, to get cared for, to get love, we have to listen to them. So we have to do all of those things. So we internalize this inner critic. And then when we get to be adults, we have the voice of the inner critic, which is very loud, which tells us, you know, you should do this. We should all over ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of it is that we're really that critical voice. You know, our brain isn't, uh, hasn't evolved to make us happy. It's there to protect us. So we have this inner critic, which wants to do good. It wants to protect us, but it's actually not helping us. But by giving it a voice and saying, you know, I'm giving you a little time out. I understand you're trying to help me inner critic, but I'm going to work on this voice of inner, of inner compassion instead. So we have that inner voice. I think a lot of us, you know, looked at our parents, particularly our moms who were harsh and critical. So we've sort of inherited this way of being. And I think in our culture, there's also this idea of, you know, you should be hard on yourself, right? You know, you should be pushing yourself more, not like, you're just okay. You're enough exactly as you are. So I think there's a lot of reasons why it's hard. And also, you know, we're, we kind of think that we um, need this inner critic to motivate us to move forward. And what the research really shows is self-criticism actually undermines motivation because when you criticize yourself, your cortisol levels go up, you actually shut down that motivation mojo. So lots and lots of reasons in our culture, particularly why we are so mean to ourselves when there really isn't any reason it doesn't help us. It really hurts us. You know, and it's so true what you say. I think we don't, uh, one thing is we don't question it. We hear that voice and we assume that that voice is correct. And we just, and we just listen to it. And it's so true what you say there are. And and I know I, I do this too, where I'm, there's a part of me that's afraid to not listen because I'm thinking, well, you know, that's what drives me. So what if, what if I don't listen? Will I lose that drive? But it's true. It's, it's absolutely undermining everything. Let's talk about the yin and the yang of self-compassion. What's that about? So the yin is sort of the soft, you know, huggy. I love myself. I care for myself. I'm giving myself all the nurturing I need. I'm being mindful when I'm suffering and I'm giving myself what I need. So that's sort of this, uh, you know, feminine, lovely way of treating ourselves. But there's also a yang component that says, wait a minute, you violated me. It's like the mother bear, right? If something comes near, you do not go near a mother bear's cubs. That's the kind of way that you can also protect yourself. So, you know, with betrayal, right? Boundaries, boundaries, like, okay, I'm not going there again. I'm not going to do this experience again. I'm protecting myself like that mother bear. So there's a very yang element and you can even feel it if you do some um, stances in yoga, like the goddess pose or like horse, if you do martial arts where you're kind of arms are up and your legs are bent and you're like, no one's, no one's pushing me over. I am here for me. So it's that the way that we can pr protect and defend ourselves, mm -hmm. which is a way of you know, giving ourselves compassion of being there, treating ourselves like a good friend. And you know what? And I would love for you to distinguish between what's the difference between when we stand strong and we, we are sort of putting our guard up and when we're putting the big wall up, 
because that's sort of, you know, out of fear where it's like, oh, no, 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 I cannot take a chance of being hurt like that again. So I'm just going to keep everyone at bay. What's the difference? Yeah, I would say the difference is really, you know, what is the fear response, right? So the fear is this automatic response where we put blinders on, the amygdala is activated, where, you know, again, we've got that cortisol rush where we're just like, you know, and that, but that can be, you know, an effective thing too, but coming from fear is very different. I would say with the fear, self-compassion, we're coming from love for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're not coming from that fearful place. We're coming from an empowered, loving place that says, I am here. I am protecting myself. So it's a subtle difference, but it's kind of a different vibration of doing it out of love for self versus doing it because we're afraid and it's, you know, fight, flight, or freeze response. Okay. It feels different in the, in the physiology of it. Okay. So one is, it sounds like one is out of love and one is out of fear. Yes. So, you know, emotions are felt experiences in the body. So one is more, you know, again, out of that fearful place, which can be like, you know, something in our belly. I would say the the one that is the uh, more empowered place is kind of the third chakra, right? The solar plexus, where I'm just like, I am protecting myself. I am empowered versus I'm in fear, which is sort of like duck and cover. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. How can we use self-compassion to help us heal from betrayal? Well, the first thing is to notice when you are suffering. So I think with the betrayal, a couple of things can be going on. First of all, we might just distract ourselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a dietitian. I work with a lot of people with emotional eating. So we might drink too much, eat too much, binge on Netflix, go shopping, sex, gambling, all of these things, because it's really uncomfortable, This the emotions that we're feeling associated with self-compassion what you're doing is you're noticing, oh my God, I'm feeling this emotion. Maybe it's grief, sadness, um, whatever those difficult emotions, frustration, whatever we're feeling, we allow ourselves to feel it. So it's, you feel it, you heal it. So it's name it, you tame it. I'm naming this emotion. Okay. So this is sadness. This is grief. This is confusion. This is overwhelm. Naming it, feeling it in my body. Maybe my heart is broken. Again, maybe I'm overwhelmed or confused, feeling foggy. So we're naming it, taming it, feeling it, we're healing it, allowing the, the emotion to be there. And then with self-compassion, we give ourselves what we need. So asking mm-hmm. yourselves, gosh, when this comes up, what do I need right now? You know, maybe I need to cuddle my dog or call a friend or go for a walk, be in nature, do some journaling, talk to a coach or therapist, whatever it is. So, you know, with betrayal, I think with any difficult emotion, the first response is, is just, to, I'm just going to deep six it. And the problem is when we shove it down, it doesn't go away. It's like that game of whack-a-mole, right? We punch it down and it pops back up. Mm-hmm. But with self-compassion, even something as simple as putting your hand on your heart, just closing your eyes and just like, oh my God, this is this difficult emotion associated with betrayal. You know, I'm feeling it. I'm here for myself. What do I need right now? I'm being mindful that I'm stressed and struggling rather than pushing it away. And also the other element. So mindfulness is one of the three elements of self-compassion. The first is, is just being kind rather than critical. So just Mm -hmm. noticing being kind to myself, not the rumination of why is this happening to me? It's all my fault, but you're going into this place of just, oh, wow. Like I was feeling this. I've just shared a little bit. I've been going through breast cancer and I was just Mm -hmm. feeling like, didn't know what to do, but it was like, okay, this just hurts. Like, ow, this just hurts. So I was just there for myself, not wanting Mm -hmm. to fix it, but just being there like I would for a good friend. 
common humanity is the second element, just saying this is normal when things go wrong, right? So often when we are betrayed, when we're stressed, when we're struggling, we're like, this shouldn't be happening. But with self-compassion, we realize that suffering, struggles, betrayal, this is part of the human condition. You are not the first person to be betrayed. When you realize that you don't feel so alone. You realize this is just part of it. And then you can go and you can heal yourself and give yourself what you need. So it's super powerful for betrayal. Beautiful. So just so I just so um, I, I I have this right, there, there were three. You're saying there were three elements. Go. Can you go over the three again? Sure. You are kind to yourself rather than critical. So the first one's kindness. Mm-hmm. The second one is common humanity rather than isolation. So we know that when things go wrong, when we make mistakes it's part of the human condition. And the last mm-hmm. one is mindfulness okay. versus over-identification. So mindfulness is kind of an interesting um, seesaw. So we're aware that we are stressed and struggling without um, over-attaching to it. So it becomes rumination. So we're not churning it over and over again in our heads, but we're noticing it, and then we're moving on and saying, what do I need right now to heal that betrayal? Mm-hmm. So noticing like as the observer. Correct. Instead of just being in it. Okay. And, and, you know, you know what I love? I just love the idea of asking yourself, what do you need? Right. I mean, think about it. It is so basic to ask that of ourselves, but we don't really, you know, we just push our needs aside and, and just power through and it doesn't, nothing's healing that way. Nothing's, we're just trying to keep it at bay as best we can. Okay. Wonderful. Talk to us about the life vest and the parachute. What's that all about? Yeah, so self-compassion is both a life vest and a parachute. So the research shows that self-compassion really does help with depression, anxiety, and um, anxiety and stress. So it helps with those difficult um, experiences, but it also helps with resilience, optimism, well-being. So it helps both ends of the spectrum. So if you are going through a health crisis, dealing with you know healing from betrayal. Um, dealing with any relationship, career, whatever you're dealing with, it is a life vest that we can put on and it keeps Mm -hmm. us afloat when we are going through a stressful, difficult time in our life. But at the same time, it's also a parachute. It helps you to do things like take risks, step outside your comfort zone, because you know, well, gosh, if I try that thing, like maybe you've been betrayed, like, okay, it's time for me to date again. Um, right. So when you're like, okay, I'm going to jump in that court with self-compassion, you know, you know, if I get rejected, if it doesn't go right, I can be here for myself. I can just be like, okay, Ellen, it's all right. It, this, this wasn't a great experience, but I'm here for myself. So we're more resilient. We're able to step outside our comfort zone. And we really need to do those things that scare us in order to move forward and grow. So it really helps with both ends of the spectrum, both the crisis, that's when life best comes in, when you feel like you're drowning. And then also the parachute when you're ready, like, yeah, I'm ready to, to jump off that cliff and, and hopefully fly and soar. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, all my listeners and viewers, they always like these actionable steps. It's like, oh, that sounds great and all, but they're blindsided by their betrayal. They are trying to heal. Give us like some, some steps of like, start with this, then try this, then try this. The first thing would just to be do that exercise. So think about you know, either a specific issue or something in general, how do you treat a friend and journal mm-hmm. about that? I mean, journaling is great journal about how do I treat a friend and then journal about how you treat yourself, compare mm-hmm. the two. And 
maybe just set an intention. My intention is to treat myself the way I would a good friend. And with self-compassion, you can, initially when you practice, it can be a little bit difficult. So you can actually think about, okay, if I had a good friend going through this thing that I'm going, going through betrayal, mm-hmm. how would I treat her? What would I say? And then do that for yourself. Or if I had a wise friend, what would she say to me? So kind of extrapolate it, get outside yourself a little bit. I would definitely recommend that. Another awesome thing you can do is to write yourself a self-compassion letter. So, you know, dear Debbie, dear Ellen, dear Jane, I am so sorry that you are going through this betrayal right now. I know that this is really hard and, um, but you're going to get through this. You have all of these great qualities. You are kind, you are smart, you are resourceful. You've got a great sense of humor. So write a letter to yourself from that voice of self-compassion. So again, it could be if a friend was going through this, or if I had a wise friend, what would she, would she say to me? Actually mail it to yourself, open it up, take in those words. And the research really shows that that is an incredibly powerful thing to do, that that will raise, help you with the self-compassion piece. Another thing that's really powerful is what I call- You know what I love, before you get to that, what I love about that is you are giving yourself an opportunity to write and read all of the things that you want to hear. Yes. Beautiful. And the act of writing it down, you know, I'm sure you're a big fan of journal, journaling, mm-hmm. but writing it down, it sort of gets it from your hand into mm-hmm. a different place in your brain. So, and then you're reading it again. So it's super powerful. Another thing is taking a self-compassion break. So just getting in the habit, when you start to notice I'm having these difficult thoughts or I'm just, you know, I'm suffering in some way, rather than plowing forward, just pause. You know, if you're with somebody, you can actually even just do a surreptitious hug. So self-touch is very soothing. It actually increases. We haven't talked about oxytocin yet, but Mm. oxytocin is the mammalian chemical of care and connection. So just finding on your body where it's comfortable to soothe yourself, but giving yourself a little hug if you're in a meeting or if you're on the phone with somebody, or you just notice, okay, if I'm upset right now, I'm going to do a little, little soothing touch. And then I'm going to maybe put my hand on my heart and just take a little break. Maybe you take a little bathroom break if you're, you know, in a meeting and you just say, this is a moment of suffering. Okay. So you're just mindful. You're noticing that element of mindfulness. Then saying to yourself, suffering is part of life. That is that common humanity. And then bringing in the self-compassion piece. May I be kind to myself in this moment? May I give myself what I need? So just get in the habit of rather than plowing forward taking that self-compassion break. So those are some informal things you can do. Another thing I love to have my clients do is actually write out a list of how you already do or would like to care for yourself. So I put it into five categories. So body, mind, heart, spirit, and relationships. So write out with my body. I like to take a warm bath. I like to take walks. Um, um, Your mind, you know, maybe I like to journal. I like to read inspirational books. I like to speak with my therapist or my coach, you know, emotions. I like to listen to upbeat music. I like to dance. It helps me emotionally. Um, And then spiritually, I like to meditate or do yoga or spend time in nature. And then relationship, you know, the people you like to spend time with in relationships, maybe it's your pet, you know, maybe it's a dear friend. Write these things out so that when you notice, oh my gosh, I'm suffering right now. I'm not sure what to do. You take out the list, Mm -hmm. you read the list. And you do one of the things on your list. So those are some informal things you can do. And then there are lots of formal practices 
actual meditations that you can do and a couple of places you can go. Uh, you can go to Kristen Neff's site. She is the mother of self-compassion, the pioneer in selfcompassion.org. And then there's a center for mindful self-compassion as well. There are meditations there and their meditations online, but there are formal meditations you can do to do like loving kindness um, in your body, loving kindness meditation, a compassionate body scan, um, just learning how to uh, treat yourself like a good friend. So there's formal, if you like to meditate, you can do some, some meditations that specifically help to build the self-compassion muscle. So this is just a couple of ways. Yeah. Beautiful. And you know, you know, it's so, it is so real about oxytocin. I mean, that's why I keep getting puppies. <laughs> you know, it's, however we can flood ourselves with oxytocin. It is just, it's so healing and so helpful. And what I love about that list is uh, I wouldn't even put it away. I would write out the list keep it out. And, and just to, just to add to it, um, maybe choose a few things in each category that like some aren't good for, let's say a rainy day, you know, maybe it's that walk in nature, or maybe you love walking in the rain, then it is, but having a few options for each. So based on time, based on where you are, you know, maybe, uh, just having uh, more to choose from within each of those categories and keep it front and center, because those are, those are powerful. Those are powerful things. So let's talk about regulating your emotions as it relates to self-compassion. Sure, well, with self-compassion, again, you notice your emotions. So mm -hmm. naming it is really powerful because when you name your emotion, what it does is it brings it from the primitive part of your brain. So the, from the amygdala, and it brings it into your big mammalian frontal cortex. So just name it, okay, this is anger, this is fear, this is grief, this is sadness. It may take you a while to learn what those emotions are. And again, lots of resources for that. I love Brene Brown's latest book is really awesome, Atlas of the Heart, where she just talks about all kinds of emotions. For some reason, we've been taught to just to like, you know, happy, joy, mm -hmm. gratitude. Those are all great, but the other ones, and we get into this, um, you know, uh, toxic positivity. We're always supposed to be upbeat all the time, and that can lead to things like depression when you're shoving them down. So, so what you're doing is, first of all, you are really naming, getting to know your emotional landscape. So naming it, you're taming it, feeling it in your body, emotions are felt experiences in the body. There's so much information out there about trauma. Emotions are felt in the body. Then what you want to do is when you notice where it is in your body, you want to soften that part of your body. So you're feeling betrayal. It's probably like, oh, right in your heart, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like, can I soften my heart? Can I like soothe it with, you know, my hands, maybe even, you know, breathing into my heart space, expanding that chakra. So, so softening it, um, and then just, um, soothing it, soothing it again, that the feeling like I'm putting a compress on it and then just allowing it to come and go. So you're processing the emotions rather than again, shoving them down. And we, you know, again, we're always doing so much to, we want to go right to the dopamine score. So we talked about oxytocin being that mammalian chemical of care and connection. Often we bypass the oxytocin when we feel the cortisol, mm -hmm. that hormone of fight and flight, we want to go right to the dopamine to distract us. And dopamine is the chemical of reward. So it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, food, alcohol, it raises your dopamine levels. But the problem is when we go to the dopamine, instead of processing and raising the oxytocin, what happens is not only do we perhaps engage in a behavior, which is not good for us. So we might eat, drink, eat too much, drink too much, shop too much, spend all our time on Netflix. 
we're stuck with that. And then we haven't taken care of the initial issue that we're feeling. So it's kind of a double whammy with oxytocin. What you're doing is by soothing and comforting yourself or, you know, playing with your puppies, talking to a friend, getting a hug. What you're doing is you're actually reducing the cortisol levels, actually bringing that cortisol down. And you are engaging with those, um, that really productive way to feel better instead of the dopamine, a way to, to heal those difficult emotions. You know, we need to do a lot of healing before that scar tissue can form and we can move forward, but so important. And, and self-compassion really is an emotional regulatory technique. So again, something that you can learn, you can start off small, like you're in the shallow end, but you start to use it on a regular basis. And I know for me, what it's done in my life is that it's really created so much, I have such a higher level of joy. Mm -hmm. I used to have a very narrow um, spectrum of emotion. Uh, partially I was experiencing depression. And so I, I was taking antidepressants. So I only felt like a little bit, I didn't feel the low, but mm -hmm. I didn't feel the high. And now that I have done so much work with self-compassion, so much healing, I feel a wide spectrum. So what happens is when you love yourself more and you treat yourself like a good friend, you fall in love with yourself more and more. You stop doing those things that insult your soul. You start doing those things in your highest interest and you start to feel more joy. It's like you're turning up the colors in, in your own life. Beautiful. What's, let's talk about the, the relationship between self-love, self-care, self-compassion. You know, I, I feel like sometimes we throw around these words and they're all, they're all really important, but how do they work together? Sure. Well, I feel like self-compassion is the how of self-love. Okay. So often, you know, we're here, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, but mm -hmm. how the heck do you do it? The thing I love about self-compassion, and I have a whole chapter on it in my book, Rock Your Midlife. It's the second step in my book, Loving Yourself. It's the how-to. So it's actual things that you can do. And this has been, there's about 3,000, 4,000 um, research articles on self-compassion. It really does work. So even if you feel like, oh my gosh, I treat myself really badly. I have no idea how to do the self-love thing. When you start to practice, again, treating yourself like a good friend, you actually build that self-love because the more it's just think about your friend, right? Like when my friend is, is kind and loving, compassionate towards me, well, I love her more. When you're kind and compassionate towards yourself, you build that self-love. Then I think about the self-care piece as, as again, the, the what do you do, right? Mm -hmm. So the self-care is the things that we do to love and care for our body, our mind, our heart, and our spirit. So the self-compassion is kind of like the how of self-love. The self-care piece is like more of the, I feel like the specific to-do list of all mm -hmm. the things you can do to love and, and care for yourself. That makes total sense. What do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Yeah, I just want to touch a little bit of, well, I guess, first of all, wherever you're at, you can learn this. Like I came from super self harsh self-critic, negative body image, being so hard on myself, perfectionist, all of that stuff. And I've worked on it and anybody, if I can do it, you can do it. And life is so much better when you love yourself. And it is such a powerful, again, as I'm going through breast cancer right now, so grateful, uh, went through divorce, went through all kinds of things, betrayal. 
it's been there. It's this constant companion that you can use. And the other thing I would say too, is most, you know, women have negative body image. It doesn't go away. In fact, it may even get worse at midlife as our bodies get further away from the youthful ideal. And what my research showed is practicing self-compassion only about an hour a week in as short as three weeks, reduced body shame, body dissatisfaction, self-worth based on appearance and improved body appreciation. So if you're struggling with negative body image, which a lot of women are like 80% of us don't like our bodies and the negative body image also in, increases things like depression, eating disorders, all kinds of stuff. We don't feel as confident and good about ourselves. Self-compassion really, really can help. And if you want help, there's just incredible resources out there to support you. You know, this is, this is just such a call just to take better care of ourselves, to be a little bit easier on ourselves. We're so hard, just so, so hard on ourselves. And I always share this story and, you know, I, before my betrayal, I was dr like such a driver, you know, so uh, just do things and get things done. And then I realized how harsh and critical I was. And I decided after, after my betrayal, as I was recreating myself and betrayal lends itself to creating an entirely new identity, I decided not to do that anymore. So now all the things that I would have been so critical of, now they're simply adorable. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, and, well, it's kind of that, that wabi-sabi idea of these pots with cracks, mm -hmm. you know, the cracks are where the light gets in. That's it. And That's so it. those cracks, those things that you think are your flaws, those are actually part of your superpower. Absolutely. So Dr. Ellen, where do we go to learn more about you and your great work? TheMidlifeWhisperer.com. That's TheMidlifeWhisperer.com. You can get my books. I also have a radio show that you were kind enough to be on. You can catch that episode. And that's also called Rock Your Midlife. And the book is on Amazon. And I am on Instagram at The Midlife Whisperer as well. Okay. Well, Dr. Ellen, you shared so much with our amazing community. I know they got so much out of this. Thank you. Thank you. So it all starts with noticing when we're suffering, then practicing mindfulness where we're kind versus critical and getting out of isolation because we all need each other. Stay in touch with Dr. Ellen by going to dralbertson.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. To increase self-compassion, try these tips. One, compare how do you treat a friend versus how you treat yourself. Two, write a self-compassion letter filled with love and support for yourself. Three, give yourself a self-compassion break, implementing strategies that help you feel better. Four, write a list of things you can do to increase self-compassion as it relates to your body, mind, heart, spirit, and relationships. With that list written, simply choose a strategy to implement to support one of those areas whenever you need to. We're so good at being hard on ourselves, and it's time to give ourselves the love, kindness, and support we need. Let me help. Stop over at thepbtinstitute.com to learn more about joining our very special community. There's truly nothing like it. Research-based, proven, and all we do is get you from feeling anxious, stressed, exhausted, confused, angry, and sad to moving fully through your betrayal once and for all. Those physical, mental, and emotional symptoms are what's lingering because of an unhealed betrayal. You deserve to heal from all of that. So join us there, thepbtinstitute.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.